Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 32. Thank you for lending me your ears once again for today's episode, which is brought to you by fellow topper Kate. She suggested that I do an episode on crazy phrases, and she gave me a few specific suggestions. We're going to part the lab coat and look into some of the expressions people use to say someone is a bit loony. So put on your coats and hug yourself tight, because it's time to explore today's phrases, origins, history, and more. The first phrase Kate mentioned was harebrained. This can mean that someone is acting giddy, rash, or reckless. So this one is more about acting crazy than being crazy. First, I should clarify that we're talking about hair as in a rabbit, not hair as in what's on your head. This is not a saying about having hair for brains. It's about being like the animal version of hair. Before moving on, though, back around the 1500s, in Scottish English, there were other accepted spelling of the animal hair, and they were H-A-I-R and H-A-I-R-E. Therefore, technically, you can spell hair-brained as H-A-I-R-brained if you want to spell it like they did in old-timey times. Just keep in mind that it still means the animal, not the stuff that grows on mammals. So, how does a hair differ from a rabbit? Well, for starters, they're totally different species. Other than that, hares tend to be larger than rabbits and have longer legs and ears. Baby hares are born with their eyes open and they're covered in fur. Rabbits are bald and their eyes are shut. Rabbits tend to live in groups, while hares live alone most of the time, except when it's time to mate. Another main difference is that most hares live above ground, while rabbits burrow below ground. There are other differences, but that's enough to show you that hares are typically hardier and more wild. This is why the expression is hare-brained, not rabbit-brained. But why is the expression used at all? Well, since hares are typically found above ground, they tend to run from prey or dangerous situations instead of hiding. So some people think of them as being flighty, which lends to the absurd behavior comparison for people. Also, some cultures have seen the hare as a trickster type of character which would suggest that they saw them as reckless beings. As far as showing up in print, the Oxford English Dictionary states that it first appeared in a 1548 work by Edward Hall, an English historian. The book was called The Union of the Two Noble and Illustrious Families of Lancaster and York, and it had the following in it, quote, My desire is that none of you be so unadvised or harebrained as to be the occasion that I, in my defense, shall color and make red your tawny ground with the deaths of yourself and the effusion of Christian blood. End quote. Now, let's go ahead and look at another phrase based on these little furry fellows, mad as a March hare. So, this idiom means that someone is completely mad, and that's the crazy kind of mad, not the angry kind. The origin of this phrase is pretty simple to figure out. Hares mate around March and therefore act a bit more excitedly than normal. In other words, they go a bit mad and act crazy in love. Most likely, people have been saying this for around as long as they realized hares got Twitter pated in March. 
Although I couldn't confirm exactly when it showed up in popular speech, it's at least older than 1500, because it's around then that it shows up in print. It was in a poem called Blobel's Test, which I couldn't find any other information on other than the title. The usage was, quote, Thine pay begin to swear and to stare, and be as brainless as a marsh hare, end quote. A few decades later, in 1529, Sir Thomas More, an English lawyer, social philosopher, author, statesman, and Renaissance humanist, included a version more like the one we use today in his work, The Supplication of Souls, quote, as mad not as a march hare, but as a mad dog, end quote. This seems to imply that people at the time saw march hares even crazier than a mad dog, which I assume means a rabid dog, but that's just my opinion, not something backed up with any kind of source. Anyway, the use of this idiom that is probably the most famous is the March Hare in Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventure in Wonderland. He was a rather odd character, as evidenced by his watch repair tactics of covering the watch in butter and dipping it in tea. Before we move on to the next phrase, Kate asked if I could find out why there are multiple sayings about being crazy that have to do with rabbits. So, let's look into that. Okay, I couldn't find anything definitive as to why rabbits are associated with crazy sayings. However, I found some possible reasons for why this is. In addition to the two idioms we've already discussed, a few other sayings with rabbit in them are to rabbit or to rabbit on, to go down the rabbit hole, and to buy the rabbit. There's plenty more, but this isn't a rabbit-themed episode, so we'll save them for another day. These four phrases are all used for some version of saying quick, flighty, untrustworthy, to fare badly, or that someone drones on and on about something. So basically, they all have a negative connotation. I guess that means that rabbits aren't just used to call someone crazy, but just not favored in general. That still leaves the question of why. Rabbit's feet are seen as lucky, so why does the creature in full get such a bad saying rap? Well, I think it has to do with how people viewed rabbits in old-timey times. Since rabbits are so good at making baby rabbits, folks have considered them a symbol of fertility since at least medieval times. This links back to the mad as a March hare saying, because, as we've already explored, hares ready to mate act a bit crazy. We also already touched on people seeing rabbits as tricksters, but let me expand on that a little. Some Native American legends say that a rabbit killed the sun, which is definitely bad. And in some other cultures, rabbits are believed to be the messengers to the underworld, which is potentially bad. So I think the reason rabbits and hares are used for sayings about being less than sane is simply because they've been seen for so long as tricky, possibly dangerous animals. It gives them a sense of being almost mystical, kind of strange, and a little bit crazy. Kate, I hope that answers your question, even if it was mainly just me speculating. Either way, I think it's time to move on, so now let's look at another mad phrase Kate suggested, mad as a hatter. This idiom means, like most of the ones today, that someone is crazy. But what is a hatter, and why are they mad? Well, mainly, it's because of Mercury. Not the Roman god or the planet, but the element. A hatter is simply someone who makes hats, and Mercury used to be a part of the hat-making process. The reason they used it was to separate the fur from animal pelts to make felt. 
It began being used in the 17th century in France and spread throughout the world, continuing to be used until 1941 in the United States, although pretty much everyone else in the world stopped using it around the turn of the 19th century. The long-term exposure to the dangerous material would affect the nervous system of the hat makers. The side effects of the resulting illness could include tremors, fatigue, irritability, aggressiveness, memory loss, mood swings, depression, and more. So basically, making hats in old-timey times could literally drive you mad or crazy. As far as this expression being used in print, the earliest known usage as we know it is found in Blackwood's Edinburgh Magazine, a British magazine printed between 1817 and 1980. William Blackwood was a Scottish publisher, and the idiom is first found in the January through June 1829 edition of his magazine. After one man in the story claims to have been a sultan for a while, one of the others remarks that he is, quote, mad as a hatter, end quote. Of course, like the March Hare, one of the most famous Mad Hatters came about thanks to Lewis Carroll's story about Alice. The Cheshire Cat is the one who tells us he's indeed a Mad Hatter when he says, quote, In that direction, the cat said, lives a Hatter, and in that direction lives a March Hare. Visit either you like, they're both mad. End quote. The next thing Kate asked me to look into was calling someone cuckoo. So let's do that for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. So there really isn't a lot of definitive information I could find out about this one. But I'll share what I did scrape up. First of all, here's what the Oxford English Dictionary has to say about this one. Applied to a person, especially in referencing to the bird's monotonous call, or its habit of laying its eggs in the nests of other birds, equals a fool. To dive into this meaning a little more, let's look at the actual cuckoo bird. As the definition suggests, several types of the cuckoo bird are known for making loud calls, and making them a lot. Another thing some cuckoos do is drop off their eggs into the nest of other bird species so that the other birds will raise them. While some people maintain that them not being the coolest parents out there lends itself to the foolish usage, a lot of people agree that it has more to do with the sounds they make. The potential annoyance of the loud, repetitive calls of the cuckoo are used metaphorically to say someone talks aimlessly or drones on and on, possibly sounding crazy. In fact, some types of cuckoos, specifically ones in South Asia, are called brain fever birds by some because their calls going on and on through the hot nights were reported to drive British colonialists mad. Now, this saying didn't show up in America until the early 1900s, but the idea behind it goes all the way back to the 4th century. Now, way back then, it wasn't just the term cuckoo, but cloud cuckoo land, which was a reference to a fanciful land, something imagined to the ideal. It can be found in the play The Birds which is probably far less terrifying than the Alfred Hitchcock movie by the same name. It was written by the Greek playwright Aristophanes. And while the characters are discussing what to name a city, one suggests that they use a name from something grand and to do with clouds. Another character named Pistaterios says, quote, Well, then how do you like this? Cloud Cuckoo Land. End quote. 
Now, I know this isn't the exact same thing, but it is the believed print origin of the idea behind calling someone cuckoo, since it was used to describe something that might only be able to take place in someone's mind. The first usage in print that is more like what we use today is from Shakespeare's play Henry IV, written in 1597. He wrote, quote, So when he had occasion to be seen, he was but as the cuckoo in June, heard, not regarded. End quote. The bard was basically saying that this person was heard but not taken seriously, ergo he was seen as foolish. Again, it's not an exact match to how we use it today, but it's much closer. Now, before I drive you cuckoo talking about this, let's move on to today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, I've got the book open to a section of quotes from Charles Fletcher Dole, and this is from his work, The Cleveland Address. Goodwill is the mightiest practical force in the universe. Yeah, I kind of like that. Good on you, Dole. And thank you for today's Familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, that's all I've got for episode 32. Thanks for joining me once again to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. You can check out my show notes to find all of my social media, contact, and sponsor information. And a special thank you again to Kate for the suggestions you sent in. For the rest of you toppers, feel free to send me topic suggestions whether it's just one or enough for a whole episode like today. If you do send me something to put on the show, just let me know if you want a shout-out or if you want to remain anonymous. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing to the show or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, don't do anything too crazy. And now, this is. Let me rephrase. Rabbits tend to live in the ground, whereas hares. Oh. <laughs> That's a typo. I know what I'm trying to say here. It was in a poem called Blowball's Test, which, Blowball's Test? Blowball? I'm assuming it's Blowball, because Blowball just doesn't sound very nice. Well, mainly because of Mjörk... <laughs> Let me try that again. It was written by Greek playwright Aristophanes. Aristophanes? I'm going to stick with Aristophanes. Another character named Pis... <laughs> yeah, that's not, that can't be right. After hearing that, a character named Pethes. <laughs> Why are old timey time people named so hard? I can do this. Then a character named Pes. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Pistaterios. Pice- Pice- Pice-
Paiteterios. That sounds good. Then a character that I think is named Paiteterios. Ah, I still messed it up. Then a character that I think was named Paiteratios. No, Pistateriosis. A character named Pistateriosis. 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 Just say it. Okay. 